Hello and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? Marginally worse than the last time we did this about 12 seconds ago. Just giving away all the trade secrets there. Yeah, we're, we're right. retaking the, uh, the, t- the intro to this podcast after some, uh, uh, I guess, just a snafu to start. I don't even know how you would describe it. <laughs> just some stuff. That's all um, there is. We're getting closer and closer to the start of the NBA season, which is excited. I'm feeling more and more energized every day, more and more excited for the, the return of basketball. Um, and today we're gonna we're gonna kind of kick off our team preview series. And what we'll do as a slight variation from previous years, where we've done kind against of against my will. Yeah, well, this was the compromise. This was the compromise, but it is not what I wanted. I want to be clear about that. I wanted to give the listeners thirty team previews, and we will. And we will. And five of them, well, I guess seven to ten of them, eight to ten of them will come today. And then the rest we will kind of roll out as the as the coming weeks, you know, unfold. Uh, typically, we've just kind of done deep dives into th- all 30 teams, about three or four teams per episode as we roll up to the season. But today we're going to start by each of us has identified five of the teams that we are most interested in or most fascinated by, most confused by, uh, most excited to see at the start of the season. I, I don't know what exactly your criteria was, but these let's call them the, our most interesting teams going into the start of the NBA season. Um, so we'll run through these. We'll kind of dive deep into all these teams, and then we will dive deep into the rest of the NBA teams as again, as we get closer to the season before we do that though, we had some news earlier this week, I guess like yesterday that um, the NBA investigation into the Robert Sarver Phoenix Suns toxic workplace situation uh, has concluded and the NBA has handed down, I believe a $10 million fine and a one year suspension to Suns and Phoenix Mercury owner, Robert Sarver. So he will not be allowed to be around the team, either of those teams, the Suns or the Mercury for the next year. Also fine $10 million, which I guess how much, how much would that be for you? Like if you had nothing. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say like 15 bucks, 20 bucks. bucks. Okay. So uh, if you're if you're a normal person out there listening, imagine being fined ten dollars. That's that's about what we're talking about here. Imagine eating the parking ticket that you're just going to take so you can have a better parking spot. That's what he did. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on on this ruling? I mean, I guess there's sort of the obvious. Well, actually, I won't even say that. I'll just kind of let you explain how you feel about this. If you don't know how we feel about this, you haven't been listening for long. I mean, it's right. Like he is getting away with blatant racism and sexism with essentially no, no repercussions. Chris Paul, by the way, just put a statement out about it, which, uh, Ooh, what does it that, say? Let me find it real quick as I definitely am not just pulling this up on my phone and I'm just not stalling for time whatsoever. Uh, here in this exact moment, as I continue to say words that are being spoken by me, you're doing great. Thanks. Like many others, I reviewed the report. I was and am horrified and disappointed by what I read. This conduct, especially towards women, is unacceptable and must never be repeated. I am of the view that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. My heart goes out to all of the people that were affected. That's from Chris Paul on Twitter. And that is, of course, Chris Paul, who plays for the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are governed by Robert Sarver. That's fairly strong, I would say, yeah. from, from a star player essentially like speaking out against his the owner team owner yeah i mean that's 
I would I would say that that's a fair like that's more than I probably expected, frankly, from from Chris Paul on that. But, you know, Chris Paul has sort of become one of the the leading voices in the NBA on this. So maybe not surprising. Also, shout out uh, Adam Silver for saying team owners have different rights than players earlier today. Way to way to. Yeah, I I saw that as well. Um, By the way, the statement, there was a statement that came from NBA spokesman Mike Bass. Commissioner Silver's answer to a question about the rights of business owners did not mean to suggest that NBA players, team employees, and team owners are not held to the same standard of appropriate conduct. They absolutely are. And clearly, they absolutely are not. Yeah, I was going to say, you can put out all the statements you want, but, you know, back it up with your actions or don't. And it seems like the NBA isn't. I'm Um, going to guess this won't be the end of this. No, and, and I'm curious to see how much pressure the players exert. I mean, it seems like that Chris Paul statement might have been LeBron put a statement out as well. Started, yeah, how much pressure players around the league put on Sarver, put on Silver, the league, the Suns, the organization, and if that is enough to get the ball rolling on potentially removing him from his role, making him sell the team, you know, I would be surprised if that happened. Again, it's like I wouldn't. Adam Silver seemed to indicate that that was not going to yeah, happen today, but it tends to cave to public pressure and, and player pressure more than right. Well, right. And that's, so that's like, if, if the players are speaking out enough against this or even like other general managers or owners around the, like if another owner in the NBA came out and said, I don't think he should be the owner of the Phoenix suns, that would have some sway. If enough highly influential players around the league came out and said that, I think that would have some sway. So I'm curious to see, like you said, kind of what the fallout of this is. Shout out to Howard Beck, who was the one that asked the question of Adam Silver that he then sort of Shove deflected and yeah, and kind of gave a nonsense answer on. Um, and, and you know, I like Adam Silver, he works for the owners. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to say anything else, but it's still disappointing nonetheless that he wouldn't have taken a harder line against this. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you said it. It's it's just sort of blatant, awful conduct. I think the bottom line is that. This is some pretty deplorable conduct and probably not a punishment that that meets the level of, of yep. the conduct itself. So, yeah. OK, let's move on to our most interesting teams. And I'm sure the Phoenix Suns will not be on either of our lists. So I, I think I can say with confidence that this is can the I, end of the Phoenix yeah. Suns discussion on this show. <laughs> can I lead off with a team that I am a million percent confident is on both of our lists? Absolutely. Minnesota Timberwolves. Yes, number one on my list. Yeah, number one on my list as well. This is, I mean, it's the the, the two big lineup, uh, fascinating on offense, fascinating on defense, all of the talent to be one of the top three teams in the West, but the, the schematic fit is going to be difficult. They have a brilliant cro- coach in Chris Finch who can pull it off. Uh, I don't know how much more there is to say here, right? Like it's it's Carl Anthony Towns, it's uh, it's Rudy Gobert, and, and, it's, and it's Anthony Edwards. And that'll dictate how far this team goes. I guess the one point of interest I have is what happens with uh, D'Angelo Russell, who shouldn't have a role on this team and, and might not anymore. Um, but but those two specifically, Towns and Gobert, are, are going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, we kind of gave our instant reactions to this trade when the trade happened. And then we came on the next episode and we once we had time to think about it, we sort of discussed how we feel about the Wolves. We gave some more kind of fully formed thoughts and you know, I, I feel like in, in some ways we've kind of said what we want to say about the Wolves. And and like you said, it, it's it, in a sense, I think it's kind of cut and dry. Like, I think they'll be really good in the regular season. I think that's that's pretty clear. Like they they got Rudy Gobert without giving up really anyone. Patrick Beverly, I guess, was was pretty integral last year. But 
I mean, to me, like the return they got for Gobert from a player standpoint, obviously the picks they gave out kind of changed the the calculus of the overall trade value. But on the court, I don't think there's any question that they got a lot better talent wise. And I, I don't see Gobert as too difficult of a fit that it's going to it's going to negate any any talent upgrade. Um, so in a way, I feel like we've kind of said a lot of the things that we think about the Wolves. And if people want to go back and listen to that, I urge them to. I, I think just to kind of summarize I don't see how they're worse on defense. They were what 13th in defensive rating last season with Carl Anthony Towns as their starting center. They add the best defensive center in the NBA. I would I would feel pretty confident that they'll be a top 10 defense next year. And then offensively, they were already top 10 and and again like you may not think Rudy Gobert's the greatest offensive player in the world. You might think in theory, you know, there could be a complicated fit between him and Towns and like you said, where does Russell fit into all of this? And Gobert can't shoot and the spacing. Well, Jared Vanderbilt also couldn't shoot, but he also couldn't do the things that Rudy Gobert does offensively. He doesn't screen the same way. He doesn't roll the same way. doesn't finish at the rim the same way. And he also doesn't defend as well. And Jared Vanderbilt's an awesome defender. He's just not Rudy Gobert. So if if you want to be really simplistic about it and just say they're replacing Jared Vanderbilt with Rudy Gobert in their starting lineup, and then I, I guess you move Anthony Edwards to the two D'Angelo Russell's the point guard to replace Beverly. Like in a vacuum, I think this team got a lot better. Like you said, the questions of fit and scheme are going to be kind of interesting. Russell, I think they actually kind of need him this year. If he can be what he should be, which is always the question with D'Angelo Russell, but they don't have a ton of ball handling on this team. And he's kind of the only guy that can really do much out of a pick and roll other than Anthony Edwards, but he's not really the playmaker that even Russell is. And so they might actually need his creation and he's going to be a huge wild card for this team just in terms of whether he can play the type of role where he's facilitating and he's kind of setting the table and he's just kind of simplifying his game and and not playing such a thirsty ball dominant role. Like I, I just don't think there's room for him to do that on this team. And then I think the other thing, as we've talked about before, is Anthony Edwards. I mean, he's he's maybe the most the, the biggest wild card in the entire NBA this season, just in terms of like how he elevates his team's ceiling. Because I think their playoff ceiling is largely dependent on whether he can take that step into top 15 to 20, maybe 25 player territory. Because I think we kind of know what Gobert and Towns are going to be. Like Rudy Gobert is one of the safest players in the NBA. He he gives you a certain floor defensively. And he's pretty much going to fit into any offense that runs high pick and rolls as a as a dive man. And then Carl Towns is one of the best offensive big men in NBA history, and he's not having to carry the weight of a de- of a of a defense on the other end of the floor anymore. So you kind of know what you're getting from those guys. And Edward, that leaves Edwards as the the big swing piece. So yeah, I, I just I can't wait to see what this team looks like. I mean, it's. Like you said, the double big thing, it's its just we haven't seen anything like this since the 90s. But guys in the 90s couldn't shoot like Carl Anthony Towns does. They couldn't really even protect the rim like Rudy Gobert does and, and play the, the type of versatile scheme I think the Wolves are going to play. So we really, we haven't seen anything like this in NBA history. This is a first-of-its-kind roster construction in a lot of ways. And I just, I, I'm I'm waiting, like, edge of my seat just to see what this looks like. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think Anthony Edwards will dictate their uh, their postseason ceiling. I will say adding slow-mo, uh, adding Kyle Anderson uh, is also interesting, kind of a good fit with both Cat and Rudy Gobert when one of them goes to the bench. 
uh, a guy that I think should probably be playing a lot of minutes, can handle the ball a little bit, can create a little bit of offense, a uh, good secondary playmaker. But yeah, no, it, I mean, you nailed it with a lot of that. D'Angelo Russell was probably going to be the primary ball handler with Rudy Gobert a lot, um, which I think is necessary. But if Anthony Edwards takes that step forward specifically as a passer, that, then that opens that up and you don't have to play Russell as much and rely on him as much. And I think that would be crucial. Uh, assuming that's all you had on the Wolves. I've got a couple more points. One on Russell. I know we like to crap on him a lot, but to his credit, he is a good passer. He can shoot a three out of the pick and roll. He can shoot a three out of a spot up. And he, I thought he had an okay defensive season last year, especially as an off-ball guy. He's always going to you know, be a traffic cone at the point of attack and struggle to get over screens. But as a help defender, as a handsy guy in the passing lanes, I thought he was pretty good um, in, in those areas. So again, it's just, can he channel his skills in a healthy way for this team, which has always been the question for him. And then the one thing with Gobert, they're going to have to figure out what he does when he's not setting the screen on offense. Because... The Jazz always got around his shooting limitations, and by limitations, I mean just the complete absence of any kind of jump shot or offensive creation by just using him as the role man every single time because they could put four shooters around him. And I suppose the Wolves could put four shooters around him, but Carl Anthony Towns is a different kind of big man than anyone else that Gobert played with in Utah. Like Derek Favors is really the only other true big man that Gobert shared the floor with with any consistency. And eventually the Jazz just staggered those guys so heavily that Favors was essentially the backup center. And so they are going to have to figure out what does Gobert do when he's not rolling to the rim? Because that really is his elite offensive skill and kind of the only thing he's great at offensively. I mean, he's 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 really limited. He's really good at the thing he's good at, but he is kind of limited. And, and I think you don't want to just relegate Towns to being a floor spacer when Gobert's on the floor. And obviously they're not going to do that, but I'm just curious to see how Chris Finch, who I think is a really good offensive coach, how he deploys Gobert, whether it's in the short corner, whether it's setting screens on the opposite side of the floor and secondary actions, you know, whatever it is, how do they kind of deploy him when he isn't involved in that primary screening action? I think that's, that's really the only question I have about the fit between Gobert and Towns and, and that front court. Like, I think otherwise it's going to be, pretty smooth at least in the regular season but that's kind of the one thing where i could see especially early on some clunkiness of like towns is the role man he goes downhill and now the lane is more clogged than he's used to i don't know if it would be more clogged than he's used to because again jared vanderbilt was usually also well that's true yeah so i I think that like the i'm not all that worried about the fit offensively the idea of what does gobert do when he's not rolling I mean, hide him in the dunker spot and have him as a nice weak side lob option for for Towns or whoever's attacking the rim. I think it's a simple solution there. He's also a good offensive rebounder, so he can yeah. you know clean like maybe even better than Vanderbilt, who was also a good offensive rebounder. Um, okay, that's all I had on the Wolves. Again, we've talked about the Wolves a lot this off season, so if people want more thoughts on them, more extensiveness, they can go back and find that. Who was number two on your list? So I'm I'm not doing my number two. I'm doing I'm trying to guess who you also have. Oh, you're, I've you're, got some overlap. We're playing yeah. battleship here. You're trying. Yeah, to, I'm yeah. gonna go with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes, they were number two. Okay, okay, good. They were actually my number two as well. Uh, and again, another team that it feels weird even saying this. But we like, literally just talked about them in the yeah, last episode. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a ton more to say here. I I do think this can be pretty brief. Uh, they have an awesome back line, defensively, a horrible front line defensively. All four guys are going to contribute offensively. They got to figure out the three still. 
I'm curious to see the the leap that Evan Mobley can take. And and again, something we said last episode, will Donovan Mitchell contribute off the ball? Will he be the player that I think I thought he would be uh, out of out of college uh, when he was at Louisville and be more of a you know, not a three and D guy, but like the ultra juiced up three and D guy who can also create like the Paul George level secondary star next to Darius Garland, which I think is what they need. Um, is this year that like, is Evan Mobley going to take that, that leap to superstardom already? I think it's possible. Like I'm not ruling that out. Um, and, and I think on some level, it doesn't matter who they're starting three is because they're going to be so off uh, awesome defensively and offensively because of the two primary creators they have. So they're sort of at the opposite end of the pools that their guards and their, and their forwards, but it, it kind of works perfectly. Yeah, the point you hit on about the wing rotation, that that is really my big question about this team because the the one and the two and the four and the five makes so much sense. Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen. And then at the three, I mean, we talked last episode, is it Mobley at the quote-unquote three and Kevin Love is the power forward and you kind of figure out who does what on each end of the floor? Is Isaac Boy, Okoro... Danny Green would be perfect there. He would if he were healthy and if he yeah. were on the Cavs. Um, is is Isaac Okoro ready for that? You know, Isaac Okoro shot 35% from three last year. That's not terrible. I mean, it's... Yeah, but it was all... Like, none of it was off the catch. I mean, it was off the catch, but he would wait like four seconds. Yeah, no, he, he's not a shooter. Shot. And it wasn't particularly high volume. But I, I think he has this reputation as like a terrible shooter because that's the thing that we're waiting to come around. He's not a terrible shooter. He, I could see him being a league average three-point shooter this year. And if he is, that's a total game changer for them because he's a really good on-ball defender, exactly the kind of wing defender that they need next to all of that rim protection. And maybe more importantly, next to that really limited defensive backcourt. This team was sixth in defensive rating last year. That was really their identity was they were a defensive team, that three-big lineup, Mobley being one of the best defensive rookies we've seen in a while, Allen being great. Can they sustain that with Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt, which now gives them two weak links defensively in the backcourt? That's a big question. And then their offense, I think Mitchell clearly makes them better on that end. But is he giving that back up defensively? You know, wh where does that balance end up? They were 19th in offense last year. Are they 14th in offense and 10th in defense this year? Do they stay sixth in defense or, you know, top six ish? and take a big leap offensively? Does the offense stay where it is? You know, all of these things are kind of, you know, like th these are kind of at the front of my mind with them. I will say with Darius Garland on the floor last year, they had a 115 offensive rating, which was nine points per 100 better than when he was off the floor. I think they, the, maybe the biggest reason they'll be better on offense next year is because I don't think they will be nine points worse with Darius Garland off the floor because now they have Donovan Mitchell. And so if nothing else, they at least have, a more capable bench offense, so to speak. I mean, Mitchell will start, obviously, but whoever, whichever of those two runs the second unit, that second unit offense will be a lot better. And so you kind of get the, you know, the low-hanging fruit in that sense. And then just like the shooting overall on this team, Mitchell, is he going to shoot off the catch, like you said? But outside of him, it's like Garland and Kevin Love are really their only established shooters on this team. Does Dean Wade turn into anything? Does Dylan Windler turn into anything? Does Lamar Stevens turn into anything? I mean, they have all of these like wing sized guys. It's just not clear that any of them are going to be any good. And so there's, it's just which of those guys is going to pop, if any of them. And then, you know, kind of where does it shake out from there? But yeah, another team we've talked a ton about, another team that's really 
fascinating. And I think another team that we'll be able to say a lot more about once we actually see it, we see how JB Bickerstaff really puts these pieces, you know, spreads them out on the chessboard. And, um, you know, th- I think that'll sort of give us a better idea of like, oh, the, they're, this is how the rotation is working out and they're making up for this by doing this thing with the rotation and staggering these guys. And it'll, the pieces like, like the, the whole theory, I think will make more sense once we kind of see it. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, again, like you said, we've said so much about that team literally seven days ago. Um, I am curious to see what, cause it doesn't feel like they're done, right? Like it feels like there's a roster addition to be made because of the, the whole with the three. So uh, I think this will be a team that we probably have to talk about even further when they finally make that addition, whatever it may be. All right, let's move on to your next team. Oh boy. Um, again, trying to guess who you've got on your list. I'm going to go with the nuggets. Number three on my list. Nailed it. This one's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like uh, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray back. Um, I can't believe we're three for three on this. They are they were not third on my list for what it's worth. They were fifth, but uh Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray both coming back. Uh curious to see how Kentavious Caldwell Pope improves the defense a little bit. Um, I th- I think my biggest fear here is that they kind of just are what they are, right? Like, and that's this team that is sort of not good enough uh defensively to to make it the waves I think you and I would both expect from them in the playoffs. So We'll see what ends up happening on that end of the court. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope will help, but does he help enough? Does Michael Porter Jr. help enough? Does he care enough? Um, You know, those are sort of the biggest questions. I do think they're going to be really dynamic offensively, uh, especially, you know, when you consider that they haven't had any creation outside of Nikola Jokic, and suddenly Jamal Murray brings that in spades. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. does on some level, even though he refuses to pass the ball, uh, which is obviously a major issue. Uh, but yeah, I think this is going to be one of the best offenses in the league. The defense should be improved. I just don't know that it'll be improved enough for it to matter. And I don't know if we'll know if it'll matter until the postseason. I could easily see this being the best offense in the league. I mean, if Murray and Porter are themselves, their pre-injury selves, Jokic is the best offensive player in basketball, I think. And it's just such a dynamic team and a, and a clean fitting team too. I mean, Gordon and Porter and Murray and KCP, those skill sets just mesh so nicely with what Jokic does offensively. But of course that's all dependent on Murray being dynamic again, you know, being the, the pick and roll pull up three point threat that he was before the injury Porter being the the movement shooter that he was the catch and shoot guy that he was before his injury, you know? So it, it again, it's another kind of wait and see team. Um, I could see this starting lineup being like, a plus 16 net rating or like something ridiculous when those five guys play together. And that was sort of the bet they made when they acquired KCP, a move that I really liked for them because, you know, losing Will Barton, I don't think hurts them that much. He looked kind of washed to me by the end of his time in Denver, Monty Morris, that hurts. And he became their starting point guard with, with Murray out. And, you know, now that he's a backup, like he would have been, he might be the best backup point guard in the league. You know, if if he might start in Washington, but like he was one of the best backup point guards in basketball. So their second unit offense, probably worse. And you figure that Jokic and Murray are going to play a lot of their minutes together. So they're not staggering them in, in a way that's that's going to like make up like the Cavs thing we just talked about. That's going to make up on the second unit. So the bet that Denver made is that it's more valuable to have just a killer five man group that, you know, 
can close a playoff game, can play 25 minutes per game together in a playoff series and, and really log major minutes. And if you get outscored when they're on the bench, you can try to make up for that when they're on the court. That was the bet they made. And I, I think it might work. Again, I really like this starting lineup. The KCP, I mean, I think I said before, KCP, I hope, will kind of be what Gary Harris was for this team before Gary Harris forgot how to play basketball um, or at least shoot the basketball. So, you know, if that's the case, then we're, we're kind of looking at like peak nuggets with a better version of Jokic. You know, is that possible? Could could they be the one seed? I think they're in contention for that. I, like, this is another team that feels really safe in the regular season. I just think they're going to beat the bad teams. They're going to be competitive with the good teams. They have an MVP candidate. They have a, a, just a really dynamic offensive team. And the defense will be what it is. You know, I think they'll be passable on that end. Um, but yeah, just, just a, a team, I think, with a lot of really high regular season upside. And then maybe, hopefully, for the first time, we get to actually find out what this team looks like in the playoffs because we we just haven't seen more than ten games of these guys playing together. Yeah, uh, and, and you know this is going to be a team that I, I can already see it coming. It's going to be like I don't know January, February, and you're just want to get to talk about the Nuggets. And I know um, exactly what I'm going to say. It's going to be the same thing I always say with teams like this: is like, show me in April, show me in April, show me right. Like it's. It's just going to be tough to believe with the Nuggets until we see them do it in the playoffs because the defense is going to be everything. And I don't know if there's anything they can show us defensively other than Jokic being like this dominant switchable defender, which I don't think either of us are anticipating. Uh, if, if that doesn't happen, then like, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to be that or what they could possibly do to convince me. What if Jokic comes back and he's like switching on to Steph Curry and just keeping him in front, locking down quick guards? Uh, I will become a Nuggets fan. Are we talking about the greatest basketball player ever? If that's the yes, case? of course. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't think it's particularly close either. Yeah. God, that'd be sick. Anyway, um, another guy who's key on this team, I think, is Aaron Gordon, because he looked bad against the Warriors in the playoffs. He was not good, even on defense, which is you know where he kind of theoretically is supposed to help this team the most. I don't think he'll be as bad as he was in that series next regular season. And he did start to show some life by the end of that series, but he did not look like the second best player on a playoff team. And frankly, he's not the second best player on a playoff team. That team was as constructed, not a typical playoff. He was just through the sheer brilliance of Jokic that they got the sixth seed. And then of course the limitations were exposed in the playoffs, but Gordon's got to hit shots. I think for this team to really be the offensive juggernaut that it can be, and, you know, obviously we, we say this all the time about Jokic, you need that really versatile rim protecting four next to him to make up for his defensive limitations. Is Aaron Gordon that guy? And he's, I think he'll be 28 next season, 27. You know, he's sort of in the the midst of his prime. It, it, like he might be what he is at this point. You know, he he might kind of be close to a finished product. And so if he, if he, I think he needs to make some defensive strides next year. Like, he needs to sort of maintain his athleticism and perimeter versatility, but, but like become an even better rim protector, you know, cause that's kind of what's required for this to be a, a passable playoff defense. So he, he might be their biggest. Well, it's hard to say he's their biggest wild card when two of their guys are coming off of season ending injuries, but I don't know. I mean, he, he might be their most important player. If you trust what Murray and Porter are going to be, Gordon might be their most important kind of X factor next year. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's fair to say. 
I, I also think this could be like that Sixers team that we saw in the playoffs a few years ago where they're they're awesome in the regular season and they're awesome when they're starting lineups out there and they're getting decimated anytime anyone on the bench comes in because there's oh, yeah. such a wide uh, gap between the bench and the starting lineup. So they're like, if I had to guess right now, this team's probably getting bounced in the second round, potentially the first round, depending on where uh, you know the matchups fall. But still, going to be very exciting in the regular season, a lot of fun to watch at the very least. Yeah, that bench does not inspire a ton of confidence. Yeah, I like oh, the Bruce Brown that. signing. I think Bruce Brown's going to help them. I Devon do too. Reed, I don't think it's a good sign when Bruce Brown is going to help you as much as he is. Yeah, but you know, he like he brings an interesting skill set that I think they can use. Devon Reed's like another wing that might be okay, but really unproven. Um, my guy Zeke Naji is this the year? Is he the versatile rim protecting four that the Nuggets so badly need? Could it be Zeke Naji? It could not. Okay. Well, at least he'll space the floor. I think. I don't. They, they do have a. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, you know, your old friend. So, oh man, if that's good, that's the thing. If they really do it and they really play him in the playoffs, they're getting bounced in four games. And well, that's why, started. that's why Zeke Naji is so important. Zeke Naji has to be their backup center. But what if he's not anyways? Like what if it's DeAndre? Well, then their bench is going to be in trouble. <laughs> it's not going to be good. It's a pretty funny outcome. It, yeah. It would be the funniest outcome for me. I mean, he may not be on the team by the all-star break. Bet you he will. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let me ask you one more thing on the Nuggets. Is it possible that staggering Porter and Jokic, like if if Jokic and Murray no. are going to kind of be together and you stagger them with Porter, could that help the second unit offense enough? No, I like he's not a good enough creator. Like he'll okay. create for himself. The teams will just double him. Yeah. And it'll get the bottom's hands. That'll be it. Unless like him and Bones Highland, but then you have a ton of issues defensively. Bones. So Bones is another guy who I think is going to be really important for this team. He cannot play in the playoffs. He is way too thin. 
Yeah, well, but the, but again, like that's why you get KCP is so you have this rock solid five man group that can play in the playoffs. You don't but need they to can't rely play on all forty eight minutes. I know, I know, but it's like like if you got to make up for that that lost bench time with this kick ass starting five. So like that's that's the theory, you know. Well, it better work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Nuggets <laughs> certainly hope so. Uh, they right. also got Ish Smith. I mean, like that's uh, just a professional. Like again, I, I think they'll be able to kind of figure things out on the second unit in the regular season. It's just all of the questions right. about the playoffs. Yeah, the regular season they'll be fine. All right, I'm gonna try and guess. This is tough. I, I, we've each only got two left. I think you probably have one of these teams and not the other. I'll guess the team obviously that I think you do have. That's the Pelicans. Yes. Yes. Fourth or fifth on your list. They were they were basically in a tie. I didn't order my last two. Okay, they were in they a tie were... with the other team. Do you want to go ahead and just try to guess the other team? Is it the Hawks? It's not the Hawks. Oh, uh, I had the Hawks on mine. We'll, we'll get to them later. Let's talk about the Pelicans first. Okay. Yeah. I, so for me, it's this is all about Zion, right? Like, what are they on your like? list? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So we're the, four the out of four and, so far. Yeah. The Hawks and the Pelicans were my last two teams. Okay. Um, but the Pelicans, like, it's all about Zion. What does he look like? How does it fit? Um, who gets moved because they don't fit properly, right? Because I think he's not the one getting moved. Whoever, you know, doesn't work out around him, they're going to move those pieces around, try and fit them elsewhere. I think Jonas Valanciunas is the most, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, excuse me, is the most susceptible to that, right? Like, I think they're going to find some fit issues there. I think Brandon Ingram is going to be awesome with him. I think CJ McCollum is going to be awesome with him. I think Jose Alvarado is going to be awesome with him. I think Herb Jones is going to be awesome with him. I think this, this is less about them being interesting more than them being, and more about them being fun, right? Like, I think there's going to be a ton of fun to watch. Um, the basketball might not always be pretty, but they're going to be really, really good offensively. They're going to have some holes to plug defensively, but they have the ultimate hole plugger and Herb Jones to do it. Uh, and, and I think that this is, I, I don't know. I'm just very excited to watch this team play basketball. Should we start calling Herb Jones the hole plugger? Is that his nickname now? I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> you said it, not me. I just said I'm going to leave that there. After you called him the hole plugger, the ultimate hole plugger. Those okay, are your words. I'm going to leave that there as well. Uh, no, I, I I am a huge Herb Jones fan. I would contend, actually, you said the season's all about Zion. I would contend it's actually all about Herb Jones, uh, as every Pelicans game is for me when I turn on the Pelicans to watch them. Um, th- this the, the Pelicans are kind of the team for me that that best illustrates how stacked the Western Conference, I think, is going to be this year. Because as you go through it, you're like, okay, they have CJ McCollum, they have Herb Jones, they have Brandon Ingram, they have Zion, and then they'll probably start Valanciunas at the five, but like they can go with different options off their bench, whether that's Alvarado or Trey Murphy, if he, you know, is kind of in the mix. Uh, Jackson Hayes, who looked better last year. Larry Nance Jr., my guy. Oh my God. Small ball lineups with Larry Nance Jr. at the five. Come on. Come on. But okay, my point. You just realized this, didn't you? My point being, that sounds like a really good team. And it, and it is, it is a really good team. And then you go through the Western conference. It's like, okay, well, the Suns are still going to be there. The Grizz are still, I think, I think the Suns are a safe bet to make the playoffs, to be in the top six. Okay. The Grizz are still going to be there. The Nuggets are probably even going to be better. The Mavs, I don't think are necessarily going that's, away. The, that's, that's the one there. Yeah. Mavs. They're, they're probably the debatable one. The Mavs are susceptible. Yes. I, I would agree with that. But the Wolves, we agree they could be a top, nope. maybe even probably will be a top four team. Yep. The Warriors aren't going anywhere. The Clippers are back. 
hopefully. The Lakers like, are a basketball team that the Lakers exist. Where do the Pelicans fit into that? I mean, in theory, they should be a top six team. They should easily be a play-in team or a playoff team. And it's possible they don't make the playoffs at all. And it might even be likely that they're in the play-in. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. I mean, it's crazy. I, I I do think we're going to end up seeing like one of these teams falls off. Dallas is the most likely one. Um, and New Orleans probably ends up as a top six team, assuming health, which is a big assumption with Zion. But yeah, either way, the basketball is going to be fun here. And I think that is what I'm most excited about. The, the grand scheme of things I'm less worried about because I think they more than any other team can be a seven or eight seed and still see this season as a success because of what uh, would happen on the court and how they would get there. Yeah, I worry about the defense with Zion, just especially after the year off. He was always a really bad defensive player anyway. And you'd figure he's going to take some time to get his conditioning back. He, you know, being kind of out of the NBA rhythm for a little while, that could be an issue. And they don't necessarily have that ace rim protector behind him to clean up all those mistakes. Herb Jones is great on the perimeter, but he's more of like a Kawhi Leonard type of defender than a Rudy Gobert type of defender. Um, so he's not transforming your entire defense necessarily. Same with Jose Alvarado, like really pesky guard defender, but he's not necessarily moving the needle for your team and making up for the limitations of someone like Zion. So that's a, a worry I have. I also kind of wonder now that Brandon Ingram has sort of ascended into borderline all-star level territory, took over as kind of the the clear primary option on this team last year and played really well in the playoffs too. What is the dynamic between Ingram and Zion? You know, like I think it can work. I think those guys can fit really well together, but how much is Ingram willing to relinquish control of the offense? How much is Zion willing to play more of a role? How much can Zion play a role? Like as good as he is doing his Zion thing, just getting to the basket and putting his head down and shooting, you know, 89% at the rim. Do you need him to play off the ball a little bit more? Do you need him to be a more active cutter, a more active role man? You know, he never really rolled to the rim. And, and and like caught lobs and finished at the basket a lot in his first two years. Like he seems like he should be good at that, but they never really used him that way. I think they need to find some sort of some sort of balance between those two guys because Ingram's not the player he was when he last played with Zion. Zion may not be the player he was when he last played with Ingram, and obviously now Herb Jones is in the mix. Um, CJ McCollum is now in the mix, a, a player that Zion has never played with. And he's a guy that kind of needs to have the ball in his hands a lot and is really good with the ball in his hands and can shoot and is a dynamic pick and roll playmaker, or, or at least like shot creator out of the pick and roll. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen here, Zion being one of them, but he's just been out of the mix for the longest. So where does he plug back in? How does all of that work? Again, this is a place where staggering the lineups could be really useful for Willie Green. But, you know, those guys are going to share the floor at the at the beginning and endings of every game. And so, especially for someone like Zion, who's not a huge off-ball threat, what is the balance of those three guys in particular? Yeah, I think the part about seeding control for Ingram is important because there is an off-the-ball skill set there to work with. Um, he's got to be better off the catch. He's got to be more willing off the catch. Uh, same with Zion, frankly. Like, those two in a three, four pick and roll or four, five, whatever you want to call it, like would be really fun with either as the ball handler. Uh, Ingram would have to get better as a screener. So would Zion. But yeah, I think there are ways to make this work relatively seamlessly. As long as the ego is involved, we'll let it. And I think that's always the question with stuff like this. 
I would agree with that. And we also haven't even mentioned Devontae Graham yet, another guy who is best with the ball in his hands. And like, what is what is the role available Devontae, to Devontae Graham this year? The 13th player on the team. I mean, he like he was, was not playing by the end of the, the Yeah, he was series. terrible last year. Like, I, I, I just think he's out of the plans. Like, I don't even think it's worth considering him, frankly. Yeah, that's that contract is going to end up being a tough one. Still might be better than Lonzo's, which is kind of crazy because Lonzo doesn't seem like he's ever going to play more than like 12 games. Dude, when we get to most interesting players, he's on my my long list right now of... Please cut what, it down. Spoiler if Lonzo's alert, on the list, that, that list needs cut down by 40. No, no, we're, we're going to do probably four or five each. But as I'm kind of going through it and narrowing it down, he's on the list. And uh, I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the entire NBA. He just has never been able he's to stay. Probably healthy. not going to play past he's like 32 or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if the knees are just going to, how sick would a healthy Lonzo ball be on this Pelicans team? That would be fantastic. Oh my God. But clearly they knew something like it's hard to even criticize them for the deal as much anymore. If like the knees are this much of an issue, although they yeah. didn't get nearly enough or anything back. So, right. Uh, well, that that's, I mean, that's always the thing. It, it makes it tough for prognosticators like us to, yeah you know, say that's a bad contract or that's a good move or what, like you don't have the medicals. The teams know so much more than we do. And it's, it's easy yeah. to sit here and say, you shouldn't have let him go, but like, Oh, well, turns out his knees are, you know, Done. made of, of cardboard. So. Can um, I, I think, I think I know the actual final team of yours. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. The heat. No. Oh man. If it's, is it the Celtics? Oh, it's no, 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 it's not. Okay. Celtics. I thought that was what you were going to say. The same division, kind of same division as the Celtics. Oh, it's the Raptors. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I like I maybe this is just me, but I don't find them that interesting. I find them right? like, in, like I, I, I think them... I think they are like Scotty Barnes is super interesting, and that'll probably make him make my most interesting players list. But as a team, like we just kind of know what they are, right? Like this isn't that's why they're interesting to me. I I think you just like the Raptors. More I love than... the Raptors. They're yeah. so, they're so they're such a fascinating team to watch. That's why they're on this list. I mean, I think there are some curiosities and some some mystery with this team, but not to the same degree we've been talking about with these other four. It's more about just if they're going to be kind of like what they were last year, and they were one of the most fascinating basketball teams I've ever watched last season, where they they're playing their center is the point guard and their power forward is also the shooting guard and who plays what position and all of their centers come off the bench and all of their guards are like oh, their entire starting lineup does not have a center in it. And yet they're bringing these centers off the bench. It makes no sense. Nick nurse is just like, he's, he's in his mad scientist lab, just mixing different concoctions with one another and seeing what happens. I think, I just think this team is going to be really fascinating. Obviously you mentioned Barnes. He's probably the biggest like breakout candidate. If, if you want to call it that on this team, I also am curious to see how Siakam and Van Vliet play this year because Van Vliet had a really hot start to the year, made the all-star team, or at least, did he make the all-star team? He was a candidate, at least. I actually don't remember at all. Yeah, he has a borderline all-star caliber first half of the season, then really falls off. And then he gets injured in the playoffs, and maybe there was some lingering injury stuff in the second half of the season. Siakam, meanwhile, injured to start the season, comes on slow, Closes the season like a house of fire. I think made both of our third team all NBA ballots. Plays reasonably well in the playoffs. Barnes is just kind of progressively improving throughout the season. So where do Siakam and Barnes land? Is Siakam as good? Is he really the player that he was in the second 
half or I guess the last two months of last season? Is Van Vliet the guy that he was in the first two months of last season? Where do those guys balance out? And if they're worse than that, how much worse are they? Where on that spectrum of, you know, best to worst of last year do they fall? And then how much is Barnes going to improve? You know, does Gary Trent Jr. have more upside to tap into? He's like 23 or 24, already one of the best shooters in the NBA. Can he show a little bit more, especially as a passer? He's like one of these guys who just never passes. Um, can he tap into that more? Again, like they're bringing all their centers off the bench. How is this rotation going to work out? I feel like I'm asking these questions now, and I'm going to be asking these questions in March, and I'm still going to have no idea how this team works. I'm not going to be able to make any sense of them, even after watching 50 games of them. And then we'll get to the playoffs, and I'll probably pick them to beat the Sixers again because they, oh, they can frustrate and beat and do such a good job on them, and you know all the, all the reasons we said last year that and they'll get actually back. pan out. Um, but I do I'll, think this is like a, a, the team, like they're going to finish probably as a. Oh man, I was going to say a top six seed, but I don't think that's even accessible. Eh. The East is good too. They, we could do the yeah, same they, thing we just did with the they, Pelicans. They actually feel like the locked in six seed. I'll call it right now. The Toronto Raptors will be the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. I will nail it down to exactly the sixth seed. They feel like the most stable team of that. Yeah. That well, tier. I talked about this with Brad on, on Locked on Hawks recently, where there's like the Hawks, the Cavs, the Raptors, the Nets, maybe the Bulls, if you want to include no, them in not that. The Bulls. Not the Bulls. Um, but there's kind of this big, this big cohort of Eastern Conference teams. The Raptors feel like the team that is going to be the most competent, like the most I, consistently I the, competent of that group. I think the Cavs have passed them up. Uh, that's I think the top five in the East are probably locked in. Is the know, maybe not the top four? I'll say will be the Cavs, Sixers, Bucks, and uh, Celtics. I'm worried about the Heat. We can talk about that when we talk about them as a we do their season preview. Uh, but I think that the Raptors then are like, you know, five or six uh, and locked in somewhere yeah. in that range. I think they're better than the Hawks. Uh, we can use that to transition to the Hawks if you want, assuming you've said your piece about the Raptors. Well, I, I actually do have a few more things. Classic. Sorry. I know this happens every time. Um, OG Ananobi, a guy I think both of us identified last year as a potential breakout candidate, like a real serious breakout candidate. Had kind of a disappointing season last year. And so, again, that's another guy like, is this the year? Were we actually one year early on predicting the OG Ananobi breakout? Is it actually this year? This is what in fantasy football is always called the post-hype sleeper. Yeah, you mentioned this on the last show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is, I I think Ananobi could be a candidate for that. I've learned so much about fantasy football over the last two podcasts. (laughs) Um, The same thing twice. Exactly. Exactly. It's really getting reinforced. (laughs) I mean, I think I've always kind of believed in him, you know, like he was my classmate at Indiana. We weren't friends or anything, but like same year at Indiana. So I, I was <laughs> sort of in on him early um, and I, I've been watching him for a long time. And so I've always I was been actually higher the, on him. I was actually at the game where he tore his ACL for Indiana. Oh, in Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Penn I State? I, think that. Was, I can't remember if that was like year after I graduated, the year I graduated from Penn State. I don't remember. I once cleaned up a spilled bowl of soup in the cafeteria with him. Have I told this story before? You a hundred percent told this story. Okay. Yeah. Podcast. We're in the, uh, the IMU cafeteria. No, you, I, listen, me saying you've already told it means you don't have to tell it again. <laughs> Some girl spilled her soup. No, 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 no. We don't need to. Here's the best part though. He we know the up, best part. He cleaned it up and then he apologized to her. We know. Because you she spilled us. her soup. I was like, dude, you didn't do anything. Anyway, uh, hopefully, hopefully OG Ananobi will not spill the metaphorical soup this season and it'll actually have like a good productive basketball season. But like he's 
the, the thing that was disappointing for me last year, honestly, was the defense because the offense wasn't there, but it's kind of like, okay, well, he's never really been this great offensive player. He's being, he's, he's trying to stretch himself outside his comfort zone a little bit, but the defense fell off despite the offense, not taking the step forward. You know, he was exerting the energy offensively, but just not getting the results. And so that then sapped his energy defensively. So you really weren't getting the best of either side of the, of the ball. I would love to see him kind of recapture his, especially his one-on-one defensive ability and just be like that lockdown isolation defender that he was in the past. Cause this could really be a nasty defensive team. They're so aggressive. They're so instinctive. And, you know, I, th- I think an underrated part of why they weren't an elite defense last year was because they lost a lot of veteran talent. Like over the last three years since that title run, obviously they lost Kawhi, but they've lost Lowry. They lost Mark Gasol. They lost Serge Ibaka, who were arguably their smartest defenders. I mean, that's kind of Danny Green. Those guys are what allowed them to execute that crazy, frenetic, improvised defense is because they're so smart they can just figure it out on the fly. Chris Boucher does not have the same instincts. Precious Chua does not have those same instincts. Gary Trent, you know, even Ananobi, like these guys don't have the same defensive instincts. And when you're playing that style of defense, you really need that instinct. You need that, that cohesion and that collective knowledge. So maybe with a year under their belts playing together, all these guys know each other a little bit better. Maybe they can pull that off a little bit better defensively uh, and still be that just impenetrable perimeter defense with all these switchable uh, you know, forward sized guys as they've kind of become known for. So I just think this is such a funky team. They're so wacky. They're so weird. And um, I think they're going to be really good. It's just a question of, are they title contender good or are they just regular season, you know, maybe win they're a first round a, series good. They're not close to a title contender. Come on now. I need to get well, out. They're of They're probably, not, but are they, okay. Are they home court advantage? Good. Can, can they win around? I think is the better question. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're not home court advantage good. I think I they might be, though. I think that's they're, their they're, The East is too good. I think they could be this team that just the, is, the, it comes together and is rock solid and gets the three. The 2020 Raptors. You so know? The, yeah, they had Kawhi Leonard. No, 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 no. In 2020, when they lost Kawhi. Oh, the East was not nearly as good then. Also, yeah. like, think about like the, the Sixers, Bucks, and Bulls are going to be amazing regular season teams, right? Like you those teams. Bulls? No, the Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics. What did I just say? You said Sixers, Bucks, and Bulls. I, I told you before the pod, my brain is fried. Okay, right I just now. had to make sure that you weren't pretty like sleepy. doing a flip-flop on the Bulls. No, no, no. <laughs> it's the Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics are going to be amazing. And then you're asking them to pass up a team like the, the uh, Cavs, the Heat, or the... Um, who am I forgetting here? I don't know. It's the Cavs and the Heat. Yeah, you're asking them to pass up one of those two teams, too. And I just don't see it. I, I'm not saying it will happen, but I, I I could see this being such a consistent regular season team that they just win those easy games that the other teams are are winning. Like they but win those the, those uh, those other teams are elite regular season teams too, right? Like the the Cavs I think they are even, too. I'm just the saying Cavs. there's a possibility that the Raptors are just. I'm, I'm dismissing that possibility. Okay, I've, okay. it's been dismissed. We'll see. It's been we'll see shunned and sent down to the dungeons and dismissed. All right, I don't have a ton to say about the Hawks. We don't have to go too far into this. I just think there's real blow-up potential here, and I find that fascinating. Yeah. Like, if things go badly, it's franchise-changing. Yeah, I mean, they made their big move. This DeJounte Murray was the move, and obviously that comes with all sorts of questions and potential complications with how he fits with Trey Young, how Trey Young fits with him. 
I, I just think it's going to be really imperative that that Trey actually adjusts to DeJounte. Because obviously DeJounte is going to adjust to Trey. Like, that's the thing that you know, Trey's the yeah. best player. You bring in the other guy, he has to adjust. But to really maximize this team, I mean, we, we've said it a million times. I feel like we've been saying it. I, I wrote it 65,000 times when I covered the Hawks. Trey Young's just got to move without the ball and take some catch and shoot threes. Like he's just got to do that. He's not going to do that. I I realize that, but like, and he's going to, I'll lay it out right now. He's not going to do it. He's going to blame everyone else. Uh, They're not going to be as good as they expect. They're probably like, they're a playing team, right? Like pretty soundly. If that, like they're, they're going to fight for a playing spot. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think they're like in the five to nine range. I think they're probably closer to to seven to nine. Yeah. Just because like I would put the, and and if Durant's back, like the Nets are definitely better than them. Uh, and that pushes them down. Uh, so yeah, if so let's say that, that Durant is actually going to play, which it seems like that's the top four that we always talk about. The Raptors, the Nets, and the Cavs. Like, is the Hawks ceiling the eight seed? <laughs> maybe. Likely outcome, maybe, but ceiling. Again, it's like... Ceiling, yeah. Ceiling is probably yeah. six. Likely outcome. I don't even think eight is the likely outcome because... There are teams beneath him that can like the Bulls could were awesome in the regular season last year. Um, the same with uh, the, the Wizards, I think, are going to actually be pretty good in the regular season. A lot of fun. The team we didn't talk about that I almost put on my list just because of Beal and Porzingis. Um, you know, there's a world where they miss the plan, though. The Hornets will be fun and good. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Listen, they're, I, they're I in a tier of teams that like someone's going to miss the playoffs and someone's going to miss the plan. Yeah. I think their range is huge. I think they could be the four seed. I think they could be the 11 seed. Ooh, I do not think they can be the four. I seed. I don't think they will be. I think they'll be the I, six or seven. I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think six is like the realistic height. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We, we agree on their, on their most likely range. I just think the high end is a little higher because I think if, if the symbiosis can exist between Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, they could be really good what, offensively, what, what, and, and then now that? you have someone who can cover up for Trey's limitations defensively. But this is the thing. Like, he doesn't cover up for Trey's limitations defensively. Trey Young still has to guard someone. He's still bad. I, I get that. but That's the thing about, like, covering up for a guard that is that bad. Like, at, the way to cover up for it isn't adding DeJounte Murray. It's adding Rudy Gobert, who can protect Co- him. Cover in. up is the wrong word. It, it's really just balance out. Yeah, right. You but have DeJounte then, Murray instead of Kevin Herter now. Yeah, right. You're you're better defensively, but it has nothing to do with Trey Young or masking any mistakes he made. Right. He's still going to be super vulnerable. I, I agree. I agree. I think the offensive fit is more interesting between those two guys because I do too, and I don't think it's clean either. And I think that's why no, this trade was a mistake. It's it, it's not clean. And, and Trey Young's always been a good catch and shoot shooter by percentage. He just has never taken a lot of them. DeJounte Murray, not an amazing three point shooter. So can you weaponize him as a cutter? Can you use him as a role man? Can you, you know, get him on like, I, I could see him being a lob threat for Trey out of the pick and roll, not yep. as a role man necessarily, but as a, like cutting from the weak side corner yep. while John Collins picks and pops, you know, that sort yep. of thing. Speaking of John Collins, like, are we sure he's going to be on the team? Cause I was he's going to bring him up. a million he's, times in the last 12 months. I think he's so good. I've said this before. I think he's one of the best offensive big men in the NBA. It's this is just such a weird roster for him to to fit into. I said this with Brad. Find that that most rosters are weird for John Collins though, and that's part of the problem. For as good as he is, there well, offensively it doesn't have to because he's so versatile. I'm saying defensively it can be a weird fit given what he's going to do offensively, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. you you kind of need a five that can stretch the floor, right? Uh, 
even though Collins can also stretch the floor because you want Collins running to the rim, but they also have to be a good defender. So it's, again, it's Miles Turner, right? It's, it's yeah. the you know, he's talking about like, and it's Christoph Sporzengis. Like that's the kind of guy that it would work with, which, it's, speed, it's, which the wizard should be all over trying to get John Collins. I don't know what the cost would, that would be. be awesome. Make that yeah. move. It's so interesting because Collins best offensive skill, I think clearly is his ability as a rim runner but he's also a really good three-point shooter, which allows you to play another rim runner next to him, which then sort of mitigates John Collins' impact. I I, I said with Brad, he, he's almost a victim of his own versatility. Like, he's so good and so versatile offensively that it's kind of like, well, John can do anything, so we'll just kind of push him over here and just let him fit in wherever he fits. And he's not prioritized. But I think he, I probably, he probably should be prioritized more than he is. But they have this roster that, you know, other guys take precedence. Other guys can only do certain things. And so they have to be used in a certain way. And and Collins is sort of, you know, he's the last guy at the dinner table, you know, just kind of eating what the other guys don't get. So uh, he, he, but he's really good. So like he helps the team. It's just, is he being fully maximized? It's really interesting. I, I think they're a really interesting team. Good pick. They weren't on my list, but I think, uh, I think they're going to be really, they're actually a team. A lot of these guys we're talking about, the Wolves and Cavs, especially, are really interesting early season teams for me. The Hawks are a really interesting like March and April team. I think the Hawks are more interesting right around that February trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Can they get it together by then? And to if the not, point where they what, feel confident about a playoff run or do more drastic changes need to happen. Yeah. And I think there are a couple of teams susceptible to that this year, but I think none more than them. All right. I think that wraps us up. You you had four of my five teams, so I don't have any leftovers to yeah. To go through, we, I think we hit we all can, of them. We now have to do twenty-four team previews. That's right. I can't wait. We will also do full standings, projections, all that stuff. But I would say fifteen of those twenty-four are genuinely fascinating to me, and then and, maybe like four of them are just not interesting at all, and the other five are kind of somewhere in between. And the New York Knicks are all nine of the ones you were referring to. Yeah. That aren't fascinating. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, if you want to do only 23, we don't have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, I so I heard, I, I think it was Zach Lowe who mentioned, like, that this is a good team with a good run. No, it's not. No, well, it's, it's not. also, I mean, again, it's 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 the Pelicans thing, but not, they're not as good. But it's like, even if you think they're really what? good on paper, they might be good. But are they good relative to the conference? And for the Knicks, I think clearly the they're not good. Relative best to the team teams. in the East. I agree. I don't think they're good. I, I'm not saying Zach Lowe is right yeah, to call like them a good team. team. But even if he thinks they are a good team, it's like I don't I don't see how you can look at the rest of the East and say, yeah, they stack up to uh, even Toronto. You know, like I just don't think they're yeah, closer well, to and, the Bulls than they are to Toronto. And and I have they're way below the Bulls. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Zach Lowe and his basketball opinions, but I just think it's like, I don't know. I, can't, I don't even know how someone uh, how you get to that point with the Knicks. They might be the worst team in the East this year. The worst team, you know, the Magic are in the East. So let me rephrase that. Of the teams that aren't blatantly trying to okay. lose, they okay. will be the worst team. So they'll be ahead of the Magic. They'll be ahead of the Pacers. And that's it. Is that it? Are those all the tanking teams? The, here's the thing, though. If you combine the Magic and the Knicks, the Magic have the two best players. Who? Paolo and Franz Wagner. No, 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 no. Yes. Franz Paolo Wagner is better than anyone on the next. Paolo's going to be a negative NBA player next year. I actually don't think he will be. I think he'll be a pretty big positive. I mean, I've said this before. Like, I think he can elevate teams pretty quickly to, like, yeah. play in level. 
Uh, but Franz Wagner is better than any one of the Knicks. Bro, did you see the step back he hit over Giannis? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I'm telling you, Franz Wagner is better than anyone on the Knicks. He's going to be really good. Trust me, I'm not coming into this armed without the the video of that. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is coming into this conversation fully in tow, having watched it 50 times. Uh, but so yeah, he's... he's- and, and like, can can I know I did this last episode, but can we stop talking about Jalen Brunson like he's going to matter at all? I think we can just stop talking about Jalen Brunson. OK, good. All right. I'm done with it. Yeah. Some of the, speaking of Franz Wagner and Giannis, some of these EuroLeague stat lines are just out of control. Yeah. Especially Giannis. Like Giannis is coming out, although, dropping 40 points on 17 of 22 shooting with like and getting bounced 18 rebounds. Yeah, that's true. Well, and Jokic got bounced, too. It's been a. You know who didn't get bounced in a wild tournament? Who? Franz Wagner. Franz Wagner. He's still in there. Is Slovenia still in? I've kind of fallen. No, Slovenia got eliminated today. Wow. So the only all-star left is Rudy Gobert. That's what I'm talking about. And the only franchise cornerstone left is Franz Wagner. Boom. There you have it. Who else is on Germany? Is Dennis Schroeder playing? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Probably Mo Wagner, if I had to guess. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Also on the Magic. Um, okay, well, is he? Do you know that for sure? I feel like we've already done our magic preview. Do you know that Mo Wagner's on the magic? I'm Are you sure certain? he is? Right? Are you? Well, now I now I'm not. <laughs> I couldn't tell you where Mo Wagner is. Yeah, he's, he's still on the, on the magic. magic. Okay. All right, he still is. Yeah, because yeah, I, I remember like they gotten... got Mo Wagner. Was like, oh, they have both the Wagners now. Yeah, but I had assumed he had gotten cut in the off season roster churning. That's not till next month. That's true. But yeah, no, I'm, we we did not do the magic preview yet because I have a lot more to say about Franz and Gary Harris and Mo Bamba and and Jalen Suggs, who's still my guy. But good, we are not done. Rest assured, I can't wait. Well, people can look forward to those as we roll them out over the coming weeks, and then people after that, be we'll able have... to identify which episodes we don't want to do or aren't excited for based on whoever we lump with the Knicks. <laughs> Knicks, the... Lakers, and Nets. All no, it'll season. it'll it'll be Knicks. Kings and Knicks, Kings and Magic would be my guess. That's mm. going to end up being an episode. Mm. Well, people can look forward to those. We will be rolling those out over the coming weeks. Um, and then after that, we'll have our most interesting players exercise, which is similar to what we did today, only for individuals instead of teams. And then the full on season preview, predictions, you know, all of that good stuff. Awards, the, all uh, the stuff. The real stuff people care about. So. That's right. Our opinions on things that will be proven wrong within a month. Yeah, trying trying to be authorities on things that haven't happened. <laughs> a tradition unlike any other. That's what we do here. <laughs> Until then, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Read and React, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps the show out a lot. It helps boost the visibility. You can also tell a friend. If you know someone you think would like the the podcast, feel free to tell them basketball fan nba fans fan of a specific team um, whether it's a single episode or the show in general uh, don't hesitate to spread the word tweet about it share it on whatever social media you want to be on um, if that's your thing make sure to follow john's work covering penn state athletics at the center daily times it's football season baby yeah we're we're ramping up here heading down to see you in a few days and then covering them playing auburn yeah we're going to braves phillies on friday night yeah sounds like a nightmare it's going to be great. The Braves are in a rut right now, I got to say. Yeah, well, the Phillies are significantly worse still, I promise. That's This is that's this is bad. We usually are like bragging and arguing with each other. Now we're doing that but but about whose team is worse. 
Well, like if, it, if the Braves win on Friday, I'll probably gloat to you that I was right. <laughs> it's a win-win for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a no, win-win it's, for me too. It hasn't been good. I'm, I'm starting to worry about the Braves a little. I was, this, this is like, this is why I like being a baseball fan and what I actually kind of miss about being like a fan of a specific basketball team. A week and a half ago, I was like, the Braves are the best team in the majors. Oh, They're yeah. definitely going to win the World Series. And now I'm like, we might lose the wild card series. I mean, it, it well, swings so I miss that emotional roller coaster yeah. of being a fan. Well, the, the Phillies, like the week before Bryce Harper came back, that I think they'd won seven in a row. And the Sunday, he came back on a Friday, and the Sunday matchup, they played the Pirates. They lost that game and proceeded to lose six of the next seven against the Diamondbacks, Giants, and Pirates. Like, not good teams, clearly. And I was like, well, it's over. That was fun while it lasted. Like, don't need to worry about this team heading into October. Uh, but yeah, the ebbs and flows of it are a lot of fun. So, and then I see the graphic tonight. The Phillies have the fourth fourth best record in baseball since Rob Thompson took over as uh, interim manager. So, really, oh, good for them. Yeah, is it? I don't know. It's probably going to end up badly. I, it's going to end with me sad. I'll tell you that much. I've been following Philly sports for long enough to know that. Yeah, well, as an Atlanta sports person, I can. Uh... Yeah, shout out to the Falcons for. Oh, I'm still <laughs> yeah, dude. That. Okay, I'm so mad. So here's okay. the thing. So the for. I don't, you probably don't know this. The Eagles have the Saints first round pick. I did not know that. And so the Saints losing potentially the Falcons who are going to be bad this year would have been an amazing start for that pick because the Eagles might need a quarterback yeah. next year and it's a really good quarterback class. And the Falcons are up big. Yeah. It looks great. And then they just go full blown Falcons. So, okay. Through the, the season we made the Super Bowl and then the year after that, I was a huge diehard Falcons fan. And honestly, I don't, I've probably watched three Falcons games since the 2017 season. I just don't care about football at all anymore. But on Sunday, I was getting my car. I had a tire issue. So I went to the tire shop to get my car looked at. So I was in the waiting room and they had the game on. And there's this guy sitting in the corner wearing a Falcon shirt watching the game. And I'm kind of watching off out of the corner of my eye. And uh, I, I go in to use the bathroom and I look up. I'm like, oh, we're up 16. Like, oh, it's going well. And then, you know, the Saints kind of start scoring. We turn the ball over a little bit. And I come in and I'm kind of like, oh, I may as well watch this game. And so this guy, this total stranger and I, we just are watching this, this Falcons game and just watching this lead slip away in real yep. time. As And I was like, I told the guy, I was like, I haven't watched a Falcons game in two or three, four years. And this is the same thing they were doing the last time <laughs> I followed the Falcons. They're doing totally, the exact same totally thing. Totally different regime, totally different roster too. It's, and it's still different quarterback, Falcons. different everything. Yep. Well, same thing happens. Shout out uh, Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith for, uh, not going for it on fourth and three and costing his team the game. And also just like not throwing the ball down the field and then kicking a 65 yard field goal. If you're going to kick the ball, throw the ball down the field. Oh, oh, listen, you, you missed out then because uh, Denver, Seattle on, I saw the clip of, of that. That Yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it was happening is like, they're going to kick the field goal, aren't they? And then someone was watching it, which was like, no, they're not going to, I was like, no, they're going to do this. I saw that clip and I was like, Hey, the Falcons did this. (laughs) I saw them do this. It was it was brutal. It was that was tough to watch too. But I digress. Oh, Continue. Anyway, yeah. Alex. Follow John's work at the Center Daily Times. Follow me covering the NBA. The step back. Um, support whatever baseball and football teams you support. Unless uh, just, unless it's the Dallas Cowboys, in which case, do not. Yeah, just be prepared to have your heart broken. Uh, I'll also remind you as as we get we're now kind of halfway through September, just a couple months out from the midterm elections. So make sure if you're listening to this, or even if you're not. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure you're informed. 
about i know i said if you're not and how would they know that I, yeah i know what you're gonna say you're not listening to this. <laughs> yeah okay tell someone who isn't listening to this that's my challenge to the listeners go tell someone who does not listen to this to register to vote to inform themselves about the candidates for whom they are voting and to go out and make a good informed vote and participate in the u.s democratic process i know it's hard to believe in it sometimes but it is important so go do that i think that's all for today we'll catch up with everyone next time until then be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. Stay hydrated. And John, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.